Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, December 20th. Time for the Power Hour. We've got the team here from Pittsburgh Power with us. We'll hear what's on their mind, and then we'll get to your calls and questions. We're going to open the phone lines right now, so line them up, 855-950-3835. It's all about maintenance today. We can talk about engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, electronics, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. Lines are open. We'll get to those calls here in just a little bit. Let's hear from the team from Pittsburgh Power. Bruce, welcome back. Thank you, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure. Uh, before we get down to business, um, you got your package, so I guess we can uh, talk about that after the show today. I did. I did. I'm anxious to try it. Yeah. So we're... We might even be doing this in a couple stages. I learned a couple new things at, uh, at a conference I was at uh, in Vegas last week. So this first stage, probably a couple weeks, then we may even add a couple things. I'm, I'm confident we can fix this now. All right. And then I got a cold that I'm fighting right now. So well, I had it, had it gone... Josh Schaefer, the lead mechanic from Turnaround Express, was out and we uh, snowmobiled this past weekend, deep snow, and and then it came back to me, so you may hear me coughing a little bit, and I'll be sucking on cough drops. There you go. All right. What's on your mind this week? Well, you know, I say do it now, right? Yes. And you know who you know who didn't do it right now? Who? Aaron Yunt. Aaron Yunt. What didn't he do? Aaron. Aaron had to go out with his UTV and plow snow, and he had electronic hand warmers, electric hand warmers, sitting in the garage, and he didn't for a year, and he kept procrastinating. And then his hands freeze. He came into the garage. It took him 15 minutes to put the heaters on. And he said, as he was doing it, he heard me saying, do it now. <laughs> <laughs> so yep. there's another one. Good advice. A uh, North, Carolina, North Carolina farmer. His truck is a big Cam Cummins. Hey, hey wait a Bruce, I, I want to go back. But what the hell does he need hand warmers for? Man it's cold. Up. Yakima, Washington. Uh, it's not that cold. <laughs> you got to have hand warmers. <laughs> we do on snowmobiles anyway. So he, uh, we were talking yesterday, and he said he's going to adopt that. So then we had this week a North Carolina farmer from he has his big cam Cummins on his truck and it's been leaking fuel at the bottom of the fuel pump for one year and now it's leaking so bad that he can't use the truck and I said when I told him about do it now I said why do you wait 
And he says, I'm a cheap-ass farmer, and I don't like to spend money. <laughs> now, that's really, really hard whenever your equipment makes your living, right? Mm-hmm. If, it, if, it, if it was an old car or, or something, but when it makes your money, you can't have that attitude towards that. Well, there's another way to look at that attitude, too, because I I get it. I talk all the time. If you're in business, you've got to keep costs down. Every time you don't spend money, that could be more profit. But you have to look at what he said. I don't like to spend money. Well, okay. so when it comes to maintenance, you can either spend a little now or a lot later. No different than health or health. We can spend a little now or we can spend a lot later. So when you say you don't like to spend money, I get that. So let's do the things that will result in you spending less money, not more. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. <clears throat> Next is Mark Dinsledge, good client of ours, was talking to a owner-operator that's been driving for 45 years. Wow. And he's listened to this show, and he said, I don't believe anything that those guys are telling us because I went from 22.5 low pro to tall 24.5 and I gained two miles per gallon no, at 75 and 80 miles per hour. No, he didn't. And then, well, we know that. But the reason he thinks he did was he didn't reprogram the ECM. And so now it's going further per, per rev. <laughs> right. And so the ECM's thinking that he's getting this fuel mileage. If he would take the, well, he still has to program the speedometer and the ECM to make it, to update it for the 24.5 tires. Correct. Yeah. It, it, the, the, the fuel economy didn't change. His calculation is incorrect. That's correct. Yeah, I, I, here's you know, another there, one. There, there are very few real surprises in fuel economy. I mean, it's all physics, and, and we know you can't just mm-hmm. go to a bigger tire and gain a bunch of fuel economy. It's just not going to happen. There's nothing about the physics that right. would ever suggest it would happen. And here's another one from this past week: oh seven three seventy nine IFX. It's been deleted. The variable geometry turbo is gone. It's the Borg Warner turbo on there. I know who did the programming, but I won't say it. And he's 115,000 pounds, six axles, at 67 mile per hour on the level. He's averaging 3.5 to 3.8, as high as 4.2 mile per gallon. Ouch. Now, at 67 miles an hour, with the wrong turbo, wrong program, what do you think he's running for turbo boost on the level to be that low on fuel? I would almost say between 15 and 20. 35 PSI. Oh. (laughs) 35 on the level. Wow. And, you know, a lot of times we talk, people will be at 18 pound of boost on the level. And then we say, well, that's terrible. You can't get fuel miles. 
and this one's at 35 PSI. Well, and it shows up. And he needs to go back. He would be better to come in our shop. Let's put all the stuff back on and program it properly, run the max mileage catalyst, and get them up into the six and seven mile per gallon with the six axles and 115,000 pound. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, clearly, you know, we're talking about an operation like that. We're not going to be talking about eight, nine, 10 miles to the gallon. Um, believe it or not, right. um, both um, Joel with his new truck, Henry Albert with his new truck, he's been on with us on Fridays. Uh, 11 <laughs> is now becoming uh, fairly common. Getting 11 miles to the gallon is Mm -hmm. no longer out of the question. It's happening on a fairly regular basis. But on a truck like this, if we could ever even approach six, and and it's not out of the question, we could certainly get them to five. Um, I mean, that's not incredible amounts of weight. So five is not out of the question. Six would be a good goal to try and shoot for. The savings is astronomical. When we look at fuel prices today, mm-hmm. and I know they're starting to come down, but really we're still in the solid fours for fuel. And any time in the past, we were over $4 a gallon. Everybody was in a panic. Now, because we dealt with over five for so long, four seems low. These are not low fuel prices, not historically, but they feel like it all of a sudden. But the the, mm-hmm. the people that, you know, the attitude always ends up being, well, why would I work on fuel economy? I only get three and a half anyway. No, that's exactly when you should work on it because every 10th they can improve is a huge savings. It's it's three times more than what the guys are saving at the top. That's right. And Borg Warner makes great turbos for Detroit's and Cats and Holset makes great turbos for Cummins. And he needs to go back to a Hulsa turbo. Yeah. And I'm going to leave. um, I had one last thing, and this was was a very interesting young man. Young man called me, got a big cam, his first truck. He's 20 years old. He knew the CPL. He knew he had an HT3B Hulsa turbo. He knew his boost. He knew his pyrometer temperatures. Wow. And when we talked, he was really sharp. Yeah. And I I was fascinated with this 20-year-old. I said, how did you learn so much? He said, my sister and I were homeschooled. Mother taught us half a day. And then we went into dad's truck shop, and he taught us a half a day about mechanics. Wow. What, you I know, was so impressed with that. You, you think about, you know, there's a, a big, big push these days towards homeschooling. I mean, more than ever because of just what we came through and what's going on in our schools. But those kids who are being homeschooled today are going to have such a huge advantage in the workplace. Our, our schools have become an absolute disaster And, you know, I see these kids, I I just spent a weekend with somebody who homeschools their kids and, you know, they've gone even a step further. It's not the typical, you know, we're stuck in the house six hours a day schooling. 
I mean, they take these kids and travel. They they turn every weekend or adventure into a learning experience. They're they're going out and doing things and seeing things and experiencing them, and that that's part of their homeschooling. They they're going to understand the world so much better than these kids stuck in our our public schools today. Man, it was. Uh... It was a pleasure to speak to this young man. I'll bet. I'll bet. Good stuff. So that's all I have. All right. Let's uh, let's hear from the rest of the team. Good morning, guys. Pete, what's up this morning? Morning, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? So we've talked about oil analysis quite a bit, and you get a lot of calls. And guys want you to read them, and a lot of times there's nothing going on, but. What we really haven't talked about much is when there is a problem, you know, such as fuel dilution. Um, you know, we haven't got in depth too much about it other than, okay, we need to get it checked out. Um, things that can cause it, and we can break this down through wear metals, contaminants, um, soot, viscosity. I mean, we can go at some point the whole way down the line, but we see fuel dilution a fair amount. Well, we'll see it a little more this time of the year simply because of the extra idling, uh, the cold weather. But, you know, I'm not sure if people realize when, you know, they have 5% purely dilution, what that means. And basically, if you have a 10-gallon capacity, you got half a gallon of fuel in there. If it's 10%, you got one gallon in there. Um, and I don't know if people realize, you know, if, if anyone breaks it down to that point, that hey, that's quite a bit of oil or quite a bit of fuel in the oil. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And I, I don't think we talk about that enough. And, you know, things, we'll see a 60 series oil analysis where it's got fuel in the oil, which is pretty common. Um, less so in the other engines, but, you know, I feel we could talk about what can cause it or why there's fuel and oil. And there's a couple reasons um, that can cause fuel and oil. Obviously, a, a bad injector, uh, a bad fuel pump, uh, a crack in a cylinder head, uh, loose overhead, uh, excessive idling. All those can cause fuel and oil. And the amount of fuel and the oil would determine how we go about looking for the problem. You know, if, if a guy calls up with slight uh, fuel in the oil this time of the year. And my first question is, well, are you idling a lot? Oh, yeah, I was in a blizzard and idled for three days straight. Okay, that's more than likely the problem. Uh, if we're seeing a pattern, is it slowly going up? Is it going up quickly? Um, and, you know, how to test for it. You know, so one of the standard ways to test is to take the valve cover off. Um, there's dye you put in your fuel tanks and you run the engine and we take a black light and we're looking to see where it comes from is it coming out of number one injector number five injector um, which we can isolate which injector it is now once we find the injector uh, it could be a bad o-ring or it could be an injector itself and, and until you get a all of a sudden so it lights up it, it, it's a uh, fluorescent color all of a sudden lights up more than likely it's a fuel pump because at that point it's dropping, going from the fuel pump straight to the oil pan and then everywhere. 
Um, and fuel dilution can be hard to find. Especially in Detroit, we, we see this as being a big problem. And unless it's up there 10, 12%, it's really hard to find the, the, when we do that test. Got it. You know, the, uh, the other thing we need to let people know is as the fuel blends all changed over the last decade, we with more biofuels and different kinds of biofuels, and then we went to the, you know, ultra low sulfur, and then we have all the regional um, blends that have to happen, like California has a blend of diesel, and, you know, that changes a lot of the labs are not equipped to pick up fuel dilution properly anymore. So if you're it, now, um, Polaris absolutely has some of the most sensitive testing for fuel dilution. That's why we ignore their numbers, even when it's like 3.6%. We, we just ignore it. Theirs is so sensitive that that's not really an abnormal number. Um, but you've got to be careful if you're using any other lab. You want to pay attention to uh, viscosity because the first thing that happens if you get fuel in the oil, the viscosity goes down. That's just physics again. So if you're using any other lab and you're not sure if they're able to detect fuel dilution properly, and a lot aren't, um, you really have to watch viscosity a lot closer. And the miles on the oil has a lot to do with it. You know, much more concerned with uh, 3% uh, fuel dilution at 10,000 miles than we are, Good point. you know, 5% at 1,000. Yeah. So that has to take in. And as far as viscosity, so um, oils, what, 14, 15 uh, for the viscosity. Diesel fuels, 1.9 <clears throat> So you can see why it thins the oil out so quickly. Right, right. Speaking of viscosity, I, I don't think I mentioned it on this show last week. I might have mentioned it on Friday. Um, one of the oil companies, that for some reason, I don't know why, every time they come up with a new oil API classification, they call me and they want me to go around and talk about it. Uh, I don't know if I'll be doing it again this time, but I might be, but... Um, they are working on zero W20 weight oil for class eight trucks now. That's some thin stuff. That's really that thin. thin oil. One of the guys at work, he changed oil in his wife's car a couple winters ago and he pulled it in after work. So the, the oil was in the car outside and as he's pouring it into the engine and again, it was cold out here. It was, it poured like water yeah. and it was zero twenty or, or something like that. Super thin. Super yeah. Thin. Now we're that that's what 2027 is what they're shooting for because we have new emission standards again. So um, <clears throat> they're shooting to have these oils ready by 2027. And I'm sure again, we're going to end up with more than one API because you, I, really don't think you can take 20 weight oil and put it in these old engines. I wouldn't think so. I mean, really, they don't even so. want us running the 30 weight in them. The, the 30 weight is primarily for the newer <laughs> trucks. Yeah, we've had good success with the 1540 and the older stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, still works great. But and you know what? If you've got a, a new in frame on a on an older engine and you want to try the thirty weights, I mean, there's no real risk other than you know watch for too much oil consumption or your wear metals might go up. But that's not a huge risk. Pressure. But going to a twenty weight or trying to do this in an in an older engine that's got a lot of miles on it just won't work. I'm interesting to see Cummins' take on it. So with the X15 on the oil, you can run 1030 or 1540, and they have a graph of what temperatures to run it in. And they overlap greatly. You have to get into the extremes of uh, hot and cold for them to say, okay, it's this cold out, you have to run 1030, or it's this hot out, you have to run 1540. But the overlap was let's say 80% of its overlap that, Hey, you can do either or we're fine. Yeah. You know, once we went to multi-weight oils and, you know, synthetics and semi-synthetics and, and a lot of the rules, you know, around oil change now, it's really just a matter of they, they keep pushing the, the overall weight. That first number zero isn't all that important. That's just our, our, our viscosity at cold temperature. That does tell us, you know, how well this will start when it's minus 30. You know, a zero weight's going to pour really well, even when it's cold. The more important number really is that last number. What is the base weight of the oil? We've always used 40 weights in trucks, as far as I can remember. Uh, 30 weights were new in the last round, and now they're pushing 20 weight oils. I mean, that's the important number. That's That doesn't change. I mean, that's the viscosity of the oil at, at operating temperature. I remember the old, so before I worked here, I worked at a bus garage and, and they were gasoline buses, but I think we ran 2050 in them. Did you really? And they were buses in the you know, early eighties and they were old buses as well. I mean, they were buses, buses from the seventies. Right. We yeah. Well, and that was when you probably you were already starting with 50 weight, and as the engine started to wear out, you'd dump a bunch of STP in it. Yeah. yeah things have changed quite a bit. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Anything else? Yeah, that's it for me. Leroy, good morning. Good morning. What's on your mind today? So I just briefly wanted to touch on some things about batteries because it's getting cold and we have a polar vortex or something JR was telling me coming. So we were talking about batteries and when it gets cold out. So I just wanted to touch on a few sort of interesting things and sort of tips and tricks you can do to, you know, sort of make sure you don't have a dead battery in the morning. Good. So, um, one interesting thing. So if you have a fully charged battery and it's like room temperature, right? You have a hundred percent of your cranking power. When that battery gets like at 20 degrees, if it's 20 degrees outside, 20 degrees Fahrenheit, it will have lost like 30% of its cranking power. That's a lot. So you could only have, yeah. And that's at 20 degrees Fahrenheit, which anyone from up North is, you know, that's a spring day to those, yeah. those guys. So, and then if you have the same battery at like zero degrees Fahrenheit, it's, it's like half or less than half. And wow. that's on a fully charged battery. Wow. So your actual cranking potential. Let, let, let's, 
combine that with what we were just talking about a second ago with oil. And if we go back to the 70s and 80s, when a lot of us, when the temperature dropped, you were going to be dragging out jumper cables and getting ether and because trucks were hard to start. And the two things we're talking about are the reasons why. The oil got really, really thick and sludgy and hard to move through. And the batteries lost 50% of their capability. No wonder why we couldn't get trucks started. And, and, and that's, a, that's a battery with a full charge. Now, if you have an issue with your truck where, you know, it drained down overnight. Yeah. If you have a battery that's half charged, that thing's going to have tw- like 25% of its actual cranky potential if it's 20 degrees outside. Wow. So basically, your truck's not going to start. It, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, we all know that um, cold batteries don't work as well as warm batteries, but it's sort of, when you actually see the numbers, it's pretty impressive. That is. I, so, I would have never guessed it was that much. I mean, clearly we know it has an impact, but I would have never guessed it could be that much. Yeah, a, a fully charged battery at zero degrees is has half the potential it does when it's warm out. Wow. So you can see why you need four batteries. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Four batteries you have, your overall potential adds up with every battery that you have. <clears throat> so another thing you can kind of do to prepare is we were just talking about the cold cranking amps, right? That's, it says right on the battery what it should be. And you can test them individually at room temperature when it's, uh, you know, when you have when it's in the shop or when it's warm out or something. And if they're like not within, with the, are they, hmm. if they're within 95% of their cold cranking amps when it's warm out, like if it's below, so if you have a 700 crank cold cranking amp battery and it only does 500 cranking amps when it's 70 degrees, then you know when it gets cold out that it's not going to have the same potential. Yeah. So that's one way you can sort of test the battery when it's in the shop or when it's warm out preparing for winter. If your batteries aren't up to snuff when it's warm, they're really not going to be any good when it's cold outside. Uh, yeah. That's Leroy, have, have you ever seen the heated pad to go underneath the batteries that you plug into the house outlet, house yeah. current? Yeah, I've seen those. Uh, they have those. They have insulated boxes. You can combine a heated pad yeah. and uh, an insulated battery box. I think it's. I think it's going down to something like minus fifty in Chicago in the next couple of days. Oh, single digit. Yeah. And I mean, people used to throw um, trouble lights um, at night. Oh, yeah. Beside the battery. I remember that. That's right. Trouble light. I haven't even heard that term in about a decade or two. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so probably my last thing I want to just touch on is we, we talk about checking your connections all the time, right? So the voltage drop from your batteries to your startup terminal should be less than a half a volt. What that means in layman's terms is if you have 12 volts at the battery when you use your multimeter, then you should have more than 11.5 volts at the starter terminal. 
And while you're down there, if you see corrosion or anything like that, that's going to lower the, the starting speed of the engine. Like the, the motor effort is directly proportional to the voltage there. So if you have low voltage, then you have low starter speed. And again, these things are already hard enough to start. Yeah, good point. You know, it's, um, it's interesting that we were talking about this while I'm standing here. I just got an email and I signed up to get on this company's email list because I want to know what they're doing. And the, the name of the company is actually Skeleton. And Skeleton is the only company I know of right now or one of the only ones I can find that make a Group 31 um, start module. Now that, you know, mm-hmm. Tesla bought Maxwell and just killed the start module completely, um, Skeleton was the company I found. It's a German company. Um they are into super capacitors, which is what a start module is. But it seems like their focus is in on a lot bigger stuff. You know, all these battery companies now are focusing all their R&D money on vehicle batteries for electric vehicles. I mean, that's that's where all the R&D money is going. Um, but I and I this looks like a long email about what's going on with the company. I'm going to read through this, maybe reach out to them again and see if uh, they're ever going to seriously <clears throat> distribute that thing here in the States. Yeah. The, the Zupa capacitor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you were just talking about, you know, 700 cold cranking amps. If I remember right, that they, their product was called Skelstart. Um, I think it has like 2,100 cold cranking amps. Right. And I mean, it's a short period of time, so it's, right. you know, you got you got like one or two shots to do it. But I mean, it's it's definitely helpful when your batteries are, um, you know, when it's cold outside and they just don't have the potential. Yeah. The other thing to, to remember, we used to do this demonstration at the CMC when you've got a start module in there. The idea behind the start module is it can grab voltage quickly and then discharge it quickly. So. You're right. You get a, a maybe, and we had, we used to time all this in the demonstration. You might get 15 to 20 seconds total cranking time, and then your start module is kind of empty. But as long as right. your other batteries have any voltage at all, it will pull the voltage off those and recharge itself. It, and it takes like a minute. Right. And so you might even get mm-hmm. three rounds and each round you'll have slightly less cranking time. But for the most part, if you weren't going to get it started with a, a start module, you probably aren't going to get it started anyway. There's probably something else wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's, if it's going to be negative 50, I mean, then we get start talking about fuel gelling and right. you know, all sorts of things. Yeah. Like, you got to put a gel in stuff. So. All right. Anybody have anything else? No, I think that's it. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll get to the calls then. Phone lines are open. If you haven't dialed by now, you probably should. Once we start taking calls, they usually fill up. 855-950-3835. We're going to start off in Kentucky. Raymond, welcome to the program. Raymond? Yep. 
Uh, we can barely hear you. Not sure what's going on. Yeah, I, I, I think we hit a, a dead spot in our cell service. Is that better? That's better. We're, we're good now. Hello? All right. So okay. I've got your oil sample here. Uh-huh. We're looking at a 2011. What engine is this? ISX fifteen, ISX okay. Uh, how many miles are on the engine? Seven hundred. Seven hundred thousand. How many miles were on this oil when you took the sample? Uh, twenty five thousand, probably. Yeah, twenty 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 two forty five. Yeah. Hey Pete, are you looking at the sample? Yeah, I have it pulled up. Yeah. Did- and- you know, that's one of the issues when Squire's cab goes through it. There was no loop time or unit time. Right. Which they kind of need that? out with that. What, what do you want now? You don't have marked um, how many miles are in the engine, um, which is unit time. I did. We had a major cluster wad on getting the information in. I don't know what happened. I mean, okay. Anyway, hey, and where uh, that affects fuel dilution, like we said earlier, if you had fifty thousand miles on the oil, the four percent is a whole lot less critical than ten thousand miles. Correct. I had twenty something thousand miles on the oil, twenty five thousand. Yeah. So, Pete, does this just look like? Don't even look at the fuel dilution or the issue. Does this look like an oil sample from a truck with almost 800,000 miles and 20-some thousand on the oil? Doesn't this just look like an odd sample? It does. The, it the does. numbers all seem... Why, Why to, does it look odd? Well, even like all the wear metals seem a little low for, for that. It, it's just... Um, then the other thing, and I just figured out why... Well, so you have fuel dilution at 4%, and I said, you know, the next thing you check is viscosity... You have high fuel dilution and high viscosity. And I'm like, wait a minute. But I just looked. Does this truck have 50 weight oil in it? It's got Mystic 1550, sir. That's Isn't that funny? We were just talking about 50 weight oils. So that explains why your viscosity is yeah. over 15, even though you've got 4% fuel dilution. Um, <laughs> why are we running 50 weight? Okay, I see well, I, it's it's synthetic blend, supposedly, JTA. I like the way the oil pressure looks on the engine a lot better with that thicker oil. So, so let me give you... A, I, mean, I don't a, believe it's thin ass oil. Hey, hey, Raymond? <laughs> Raymond? Yeah. Let, let me give you an analogy yeah. here. I, I'm, I'm really competitive, and I hate to lose. So you and I are going to run a race, okay? You and I. Yeah. We're going to race on foot. You ready? Yeah. We're going to go to the beach and you have to get in two feet of water to run. And I'm going to run on the beach itself on the sand. Who do you think is going to win? You are. That you're asking your engine to move through two feet of water when you put 50 weight oil in there. That that's what you're doing. It, it it puts such a drag on that engine. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. Look, I'm gonna have to million miles. I mean, I I don't know if I subscribe to all this temperature stuff either. But to be honest with you, I I flipped the fence. 
Degrees. Dude, I flip the damn engine cooling fan on when it gets 200 degrees. Yes, sir, I do. Okay. You right, you're wasting an well, awful hey, lot of fuel Kevin, with those practices, and you're not protecting anything any Kevin? better. It's a sample. Everything else looks good besides the, the uh, old uh, I, metals all that look really good. Or it, the wear metals are fine, yeah. There, there's no problem there. You're not getting any dirt. and then It's actually a really clean-looking sample, although I would say that you are probably looking at a true case of fuel dilution somewhere. It, it's not, you know, a major yeah. issue yet. Four is kind of the, the, you know, the number that we start paying attention to it. At some point, you may have to go through I, that list that Pete started with today. But you're, you are getting fuel in your oil, I, oh. and it's approaching the point where it's going to be an issue, and we just have to figure out where it's coming from. Exactly. I was worried about a drippy injector. You know, right? It, it, that's it, very it, possible. The injector is not performing correctly. Yeah, that that's possible. I mean, they, they don't need to be a drip in there because that really, you, you know what it does need. I'll have to tell you that. If they get a drip in and, you know, they're not spraying properly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that yeah. is really, yeah. when we see cases of fuel dilution, Pete went through several things, but it, primarily it's injectors. I mean, that's the first place we look because it's the most likely. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry to be so old school on you here. I mean, I hate no, that's, that that's, pound every time it gets 200 degrees. That, that's, it only takes one little click of the finger right there, buddy. You know, right? So. No, I, I, I get it, but <laughs> it, there's, it's just, it is old school thinking. It, you know, 210, yeah. 220, 230 degrees. Most of these engines are holding up just fine. Um, you know, it's yeah, not a well, big deal. Well, You're boy, probably I, not I, I keeping that fan on very long. But the 50-weight oil, no, to, to me, is, is real overkill. I mean, honestly, it, in one sense, you might say, well, you know, I'm protecting the engine better. But honestly, you're not. You are making that engine work much harder its whole life. It, it just won't last as long. And the Cummins okay. system runs a low-pressure, high-volume system. And I know a lot of people get nervous seeing. I hear that. Yeah, I get uh, nervous when it gets below 20, 20 pounds. I get nervous. You're right. Right, but there is no reason to. Cummins is safe. That engine's safe to like thirteen pounds at a hot idle. Now, obviously, at fifteen pounds, sixteen pounds, there's potentially an issue that needs looked at. But you're certainly not hurting anything. And you know, eighteen pounds okay. hot. It's really just not uncommon, and it really is nothing to be concerned with. I'd be curious to see okay, yeah. fuel mileage, Kevin, running this oil and then switching to like a 1030 and see what we get out of something like that. See the difference between the two. I think it, it, would it be will big. be an interesting experiment. When, when, when I check, well, next time I, if I'm at a crossroads now. My Volvo came out of the shop too after five months. July 4th until, until Thanksgiving is how long it took him to rebuild kit. So that didn't impress me with Volvo much. But anyway, uh, I'm going to drive it for a while now. Drive off this one anyway, I guess, for a while with a couple of drivers and whatever. But, yeah, it, it sounds real sweet, too, the new new engine does in the Volvo. Hope it's another million miles on that deal. But. 
Yeah, yeah. you know, as far as this one goes, if you didn't want to risk going all the way to 30 weight, I think that would be a really interesting experiment. I think we'd see a significant increase in fuel economy. Yeah. But at, at the very least, just dump well, some good old 1540 Rotella in here. <laughs> Okay, you want me to set up a little, a little bit? I I figure I figure I get fussed out about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and with fifty weight oil, I know you said it's synthetic, which I didn't even know they made fifty weight synthetic. Uh, but I guess they would. There's no reason not to. It's a, um, you. It's it, a blend. It's a blend. Yeah, it's you you would want to be careful yeah. getting down below zero. Starting wise, I'll bet even though it's a blend at fifty weight, it's gonna get pretty thick in the cold. Yeah. Okay. Onward upward here. Uh how do they expect uh, to run electric trucks in South Dakota right now? If the batteries are going to fifty percent or less. I don't think anybody I mean, expects I don't, us I don't to run. I don't see it ever happening. Yeah, well it's I won't say ever. It's going to happen at some point, but you're right. We're nowhere near ready for this. Not even close. There's still a lot of answers they, they're going to have to figure out where all this power is going to come from. Why they do their testing. I guess, I guess, uh, a solar generator maybe to warm your batteries up and then go there. I don't know, man. Well, it's, yeah, uh, you it know. It don't seem to me like we got a lot of practical, practical feed on this electrical revolution just yet. You know, right? So. We, we don't. We're, we're jumping the gun on this. We're, we're going to waste a bunch of tax money on it. We're going to screw up a bunch of things like we always do. Um, it, it, I, what else is they wasting tax money? You know what? Yeah. You know, I, I, I really believe oh, yeah. that the, yeah. the revolution isn't going to happen until we get better battery technology. I know I, we, we think we're there with some of the lithium stuff. Now, we're really not. That's not the technology that we're going to build a whole bunch of electric vehicles with because it's not going to work. We need fast charging solid state batteries. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And hopefully maybe we'll figure out some way to keep it from losing all that horsepower at, at, at zero, you know, even zero or even, of course, you're going to get colder than zero up there, but. Uh, you know, it, yeah, absolutely. And and solid state batteries aren't as affected by temperature as our, yeah. our more chemical batteries, lithium and that kind of thing. So that, I, I really think it's it's our battery technology that's that's still holding us back. But the government <laughs> is uh, dead set on pushing this stuff on us. So let's go to North Dakota. John, welcome to the program. All right, Kevin. Um, running, is there any way to take a voltage all meter and test if your lights are good or bad? Uh, what kind of lights are they? Uh, I got some LED uh, chicken lights, just the standard orange round bulbs. And they're just two wire or? Yes. Um, yeah, you're not going to be able to check it with a meter like a, uh, a usual, like a regular bulb where you can just put your own meter across and see a, uh, low resistance. There's circuitry and diodes in there. You're not going to be able to just use a meter to, uh, to test them. No. 
the only real way to, or probably the easiest way to test them is just have a battery sitting there. And if it's just two wires, plug it into the battery and see if they work. That's what I was kind of trying to figure out if there would be an easy way or pull them off individually. So thank you very much for answering that question. Yeah, no problem. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Oklahoma. Stephen, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. What can we help you with today? Hey, uh, we got a 01-9200 International. It's got the Cummins ISM in it. Uh, this morning, I've uh, been running it two years with no issues. This morning when I get into it, it'll turn over fine. No start. Uh, first thing I do is check, make sure I got fuel. Uh, I have plenty of fuel. Uh, got to reading on some of the forums. The only correlation I can find is uh, the when I cycle the key on and all my dash lights are supposed to flash, the warning engine and the check engine does not come on. Uh, I messed with it a little bit and I did get it to start. I just, just puffed it a little bit with some ether, busted right off and, uh, got my load unloaded, but I'm just, what, I'm just seeking some direction. where do I even start to look for that? You think? So you, you did get it to start on ether, correct? Yeah, and it wasn't like it was out of fuel. I mean, as soon as it, as soon as it tasted that ether, it just busted right off. Ran <coughs> fine the entire day. No check engine lights. No anything. No, I mean it's just running flawlessly like it has the last uh, hundred eighty thousand miles, and I've never had that issue. So. Yeah, so it rules out a lot of electrical problems, being that it did start. Um, so let's say you had a situation where you cranked it and it didn't start and it wouldn't start on ether, then that could mean that the ECM is not being powered up. It could mean that the ECM is, has power, but it's not receiving a key switch. It could mean that it does have power and key, but it's not seeing a cam or crank signal. Uh, so if no engine speed, it's not going to try to inject any fuel. Um, so when it does start and run fine, it kind of eliminates most, if not all of those things, especially if it ran the entire day without any issues. Um, so now we're really kind of just back to, um, some sort of, uh, fueling issue. It just sounds like the engine, um, just not getting fuel in some sort of way, whether it's a lift pump thing or fuel, fuel shut off solenoid, something like that. Um, it doesn't really sound like it's, uh, sort of electrical in that way. Okay. I do have an air dog on it and, uh, I tested fuel all the way to the injection pump. And, uh, I mean, I got sprayed with fuel. I mean, it just, I had fuel everywhere. And, mm-hmm. uh, it just, like I say, I don't know, uh, like I say, I, I don't know any direction to go on that. Where should I start checking? You know, I, I figured maybe, well, it bled back a little bit. Could it be possible that it bled off the injector somehow? And I had fuel all the way to it. It just was vapor, was air locked up inside the engine somewhere or, uh, I mean, should I start checking my fuel lines, things like that, I suppose, I guess. 
Well, you always, always check the fuel system, you know, make sure the fast, you, have, you said you had a fast system? Yeah, air dog. Air dog. I got yeah. an air dog. Yeah. Check the pressure, make sure it's doing what it's supposed to do, check fuel restriction. Those are all pretty basic things that you can at least roll out the fuel system or anything behind the pump. Yeah. Because uh, if you don't have fuel restriction and the air dog's maintaining proper pressure, then, you know, we don't have to worry about that and you, you look elsewhere. Yeah, it just really seems like you lost prime being, you know, you did, once it did start, you were fine. Uh, now, you've shut it off. Will it start again, or have you tried it again after that? Or Yeah, yeah. Once I, I run it for a minute, uh, I had to do a few things this morning for about 45 minutes. I thought, well, I'm going to kill it and just come back and see if it's going to start, because I'm getting ready to take off on a little bit of a longer trip. And so I uh, I just shut it off and went and took care of a few things, come back, uh, cycled the key and like I say the check engine light stuff's not flashing at me somebody said that it might be a loose connection somewhere I don't know but uh, so anyways I, I mean it just starts like it always uh, it just busted right, right back off so I, I believe what you're saying I have a feeling you know just knowing the truck that it is that I've lost that I did lose prime I just as far as if everything checks out, no fuel, like Pete said, no fuel restriction, good flow from the lift pump. Uh, is there, I don't know if you're familiar with the ISM engine, is there some check valves somewhere or uh, I just, I've never troubleshooted one. I've, I've troubleshooted, you know, as far as getting fuel to the engine, but as far as it bleeding off at night or something, I've never, I've never troubleshooted that that area, so I didn't really know where to start looking or so, what what I could do. The fuel pump. So you have a, a weep pole on the um, front cover of the fuel pump. Uh, a lot of times, it's on the between the the pump and the engine. Um, you could either take your finger and feel around or see if it's wet, or take a mirror and look if it's wet there. That means it's starting to leak fuel. It could be bleeding off as well. You know, it's something simple to okay. check. Um, on the gear pump, so on your fuel pump, you have a gear pump there. The um, fitting that leaves the gear pump, it's called a coolant fitting. And basically, fuel just transfers from the <coughs> fuel pump back out to uh, pull away some temperature. Uh, there's a check valve in that that could hang up, which can cause stuff to bleed off. Uh, another test we'll do, we'll get five gallons of fuel, run a hose right from the fuel pump into that, fire the truck up, get the air out, let it sit overnight, and see if it bleeds off. If it doesn't, then that meant the problem was behind the pump. If it still bleeds off, then we got a problem with the fuel pump or maybe an injector causing it. And I was thinking about what you said about the loose connection. Um so I could see like a loose connection like on the ECM plug or something like that causing it not to start. But it, it's sort of strange that you had an issue where you had no connection that one time in the morning and you haven't had it since. Sure now I can see, you know, intermittent. So maybe that is one thing to check is just take the plugs off all the ECM. Uh, and I think on that one there's – is it an N14 ECM or is it an ISM ECM? Well, they're running the – would be the uh, – not the one that we're used to on N14. That's what's on the new N14 yeah. and M11. So it's a different ECM. Okay. I think that one has three plugs. So I would take that, uh, those three plugs off, check the connectors for um, you know, corrosion, put them back on, and make sure that they're tight. So 
that's one thing that you brought up the loose connection. I, I could see that, but it's just sort of strange. You had the issue and then you haven't had it since, but I guess that's right, just right. In problems. Now, Pete, when you were talking about uh, the five gallon bucket test, were you talking about uh, the line that feeds the gear pump? Yes. You put so that you put in a bucket? Line up from the gear pump right to the, the uh, can of fuel. And we're going to eliminate okay. everything behind the pump at that point. Right, right. Okay. Because I did notice, I did notice just looking things over, uh, you know how when you have a slight fuel leak somewhere, dust will start to gather there. And I noticed my gear pump seems like it's a little dirty in that regard, you know, like. Yeah, I remember it. So, yeah, I'll definitely give that a look over. Bleed off there. Okay. Okay. That makes sense because, yeah, like, because I did have good pressure to the gear pump. I might have, yeah. I'll check that out. I appreciate it. I like to say I was just looking for direction to where to start uh where to start getting my hands dirty. So I'll uh, help you out. All right. Sounds good. Let's uh we've got lines open if you wanna jump in. Or it might be a short day today. It's up to you. Eight five five nine five zero three eight three five. We're gonna go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome to the program. Oh, let me try that again. There we go. Paul, oh, welcome. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Can you we hear me now? Can we you can hear, hear now? you now. Hey, do you ever leave Oklahoma? <laughs> yep. Doesn't seem like Texas, Mississippi, Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, you're quite fit. <laughs> I get I get around. Even occasionally three times this year I've been to Saxonburg. Well yeah. there you go. So, yeah. I was a repeat offender, so it's the closest decent shop to where I live. So, yeah, it's only thousand miles. I, I, I'm I'm pretty I'm, sure I, I I probably spent more time living in the parking lot at Pittsburgh Power than anybody else this year. Yeah, the award goes to Kevin <laughs> on the on the short bus or the long bus. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, I I don't want to sound like an advocate for an electric vehicle because I'm not, but I've seen plenty of videos of diesel trucks in South Dakota that weren't going anywhere, Peterboots that were buried up to their roof. So no one was going anywhere, electric or diesel. Yeah. 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 True. You know, I, I, I've heard the argument, and look, there are lots of arguments against electric vehicles. They're not ready yet. They will be someday. They're they're Every year we'll have more of them. But I've heard the argument, oh, what are you going to do when you're stuck and the road's closed and you run out of electricity? Well, the same thing you would do if you didn't have enough gas or diesel and you ran out while you were sitting there. Somebody's yep. got to bring you some power. I mean, that, that, that's happened ever yeah, well, since we've had vehicles. People run out of fuel on the road. Happens. Yeah, well, this, this one video I see, it was a three, well, you couldn't tell whether it was 379 or 389 because... On the right-hand side, it was buried up to just below the top of the sleeper, and it wasn't a flat top. <laughs> and and he he said he had to dig out there so he could get fuel in it and anti-gel and power service nine one one to get the truck going. And he was anyone that's in the area and they want to go get some exercise, bring a shovel. So yeah, so um, well, you know the I have another question. The other thing we could mention is. 
you know, batteries haven't really gotten that much better in the 30 some years I've been doing this. The, the batteries have not improved all that much at all, but a lot of other things have because when it used to get minus 10, everybody was out trying to get their truck started. You were out there with lights and torches and heating things up and putting in power service. And it it was a constant when it got that cold. And that's not the case anymore. Most of these new trucks, it can get pretty cold. You don't have to do all that much to them. And if if you do take care of your batteries, that's probably all it's going to take. And most of them are going to start these days. Yeah. So, because the cold, the cold weather that's coming, it's even coming down here where I live. Um, our projected temperature on, I think it's Thursday, Thursday, Friday, we're going down to into the single digits. Uh, looking at it now, it says four and five for lows on Thursday and Friday, and yeah. we're going to be according to the weather man, we're going to be about eighty hours below, well below freezing. So. But yeah, you know, that's a long way short of what we had last year. So. You know, I, I would say with today's trucks, as long as you're taking care of your batteries, that is the, the weak spot. But if you're taking care of your batteries, I don't do anything different down to about zero. I mean, they, these trucks do pretty and, well. If it gets below that, you're probably going to want to start thinking about fuel conditioners and, you know, keeping things warm if you can. But it's not nearly as bad as it used to be. And a, a tip for people that are going to be stuck in when it's snowing like that. Like when I used to go to snow country, I always carried a snow shovel with me. Yeah. And rather than a truck all day, I would get I would get out. I was like, oh, well, I got a good build up of snow. Get out and shovel it. Get rid of it. So then you don't have to, you can get rid of it at, before it accumulates to any, unless it's just absolutely stupid and you can't keep up with it. But Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I got a question about a 2023 DD15. What's the oil pressure at idle? They're low, aren't they? Yeah, I don't know the spec. I can look it up. Yeah, I think it's pretty low. We had a customer that thought they had an issue. For some reason, I'm thinking 12 pounds. Well, that's like the minimum. Like, what what is it typically is one question, but what's the minimum? The minimum is probably going to be like 8 or 12, something like that. I would assume a brand new one's going to be the same, but what they typically run on for. Yeah, well, uh, I was going to comment on someone's post the other day because he was worried about his oil pressure at idle and. I told him to look in the owner's manual and see, but <laughs> he says, oh, I'm, I'm worried about my oil pressure that low, but he couldn't idle it up because it had optimized idle. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's but anyway, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty low based on like an EPA uh, 17, like a GHG 17 one. So... I would assume it's got to be about the same for a new one. It's like the minimum oil pressure is like eight to twelve pounds, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm guessing this guy come out of a a pre-emission, maybe a caterpillar or something a bit old. Right. And, yeah. Yeah, and I idle it up. I got I got thirty five pounds of twelve hundred revs or something, and he's worried about it because it's twelve at idle. So, yeah. So, all right, I'll carry on. I'm building a retaining wall. There you go. Have fun. Get back to it.
Let's uh, let's grab another call. Let's go to Texas. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey guys, so, quick question on a charge air cooler. Um, not no problems. I tested this weekend. Everything's fine. I, I'm making an assumption here that that system is under pressure while you're driving down the road. And that being said, what what would it do if you were to tap into that system and put say a um, a turbo boost gauge on it. Would that show you an accurate reading and let you know when it's going bad? Of course. Whether it's on the passenger side coming out of the turbo or on the driver's side coming from the charge air cooler back in the intake, that's really where you want to have it. Okay. What Do you know roughly what and that pressure would be going down the road? Yeah. What engine is it? Uh, 2WS CAT. 2WS Cat, what speed? Um, I run about 62. 62? Do you have low pro 22.5 tires and 336 or 355 gears? Uh, 11R 22.5 and uh, 262 gears running direct. Okay. I'm thinking you should between be 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 between four and six psi on the level. Okay, so then that would kind of as it goes down. I know something's is probably getting bad. I mean, I just did a couple of times well, a year. Well, the easiest way to judge is is the engine stock or do you have it tuned? Oh, it's got your tune and your turbo and manifold. Okay, so does it make? So it should make say thirty eight pounds wide open, sixteen hundred yeah. pulling up a hill. That's where we want to uh, know yeah, yeah. what it's at. Yeah, I should. Yeah, I've made it up to 39. Yeah. So, you know, you have a known. So, your your known is 39. Now, if it starts to drop off and it drops down to 37 and then 35 and keeps going down, but your exhaust temperature goes up, it's telling me you've got a leak in the charge air cooler or one of the hoses or the pipes or the intake or the air compressor. Okay, so just kind of watch it with the barometer and the boost. Okay, yeah, I was just curious. I'd... Okay. And one more question on your parts. Do you know when, when or if you'll be getting a turbo boost blanket then for the cat turbo non-wastegate? Do we not have any any uh, any boot or any uh, turbo boots or blank yeah. blankets? Yeah. I don't it's know. just showing out of stock on the web page. I can look. Let me look while you're on the phone here. I can check to see if and, and you have our turbo on there, correct? Yes. That says I have them in stock. Okay. okay. I've just been looking at the web page. We might have just got them in and they didn't update the website, but we do indeed have them in stock. Okay. I'll give the shop a call. Okay. All right. Sounds, sounds like a plan. Let's go to Indiana. Austin, welcome to the program. All right. Thanks for uh, taking my call. What can we help you with today? Um, got a, I got a question. I got a Caterpillar 6NZ, uh, and I got a manual boost gauge, and I got the 
Kenworth boost gauge in here, and they're about 20 pounds different. And when I hit 37 PSI on the manual gauge, it'll cut my fuel out. Well, that's not good. What engine? Pat 6NZ. I, I talked to you, Bruce. I would just put my your turbo on there. You just sent me the uh, two housings that time. I got to send the other yeah. one back yet. Okay. Um, I figured it's my Roy, it's his, it's his, uh, it's his, it's his boost sensor cutting back the ECM because of boost. Did you recently put a boost sensor in, or is it original, or... It is original boost sensor. So you say your manual gauge reads 37, and then your um, your electronic gauge reads 17 or 20, right? No. Like right now, if I'm showing 32, well, 35 on the manual gauge and 58 on the ECM gauge, which would be the oh. factory Kenworth gauge. Oh, it's the other way. I I thought it, the other one was lower. Yeah, if it's... Yeah. Uh, if your ECM goes to 58, yeah, it cuts you back. And that, is that where it cuts out at about 58 then? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but it shouldn't yeah. be seeing 58. It should not be. That, no. that 6NZ will be making 1,000 horsepower. 58. Right, right, right. That's why so I some, put the It's getting a wrong signal. Case. The ECM right. is getting a wrong signal. Right. So what do we do, Leroy? Those sensor or have them stop by one of the remote tunes and you look at it? I mean, the easiest thing um, would just be to try another sensor, even though it's kind of expensive. If it were here, what we would do is put it on the dyno. We would hook up our calibrated gauge to it, and then we would see what the ECM was reading, um, then compare the two, see how far off they are, and then just start down the troubleshooting tree. Is it the wiring? Is it the sensor? Is it the ECM? Um, Typically, the first place and what it is most of the time is the sensor, but um, I don't really advocate for just throwing parts at it, but uh, that's typically a good guess in this situation because it can really only be three things, where it's the ECM, the wiring, or the sensor itself, and the majority of the time it is the sensor. Okay, so that'd be a pretty cheap, and I think they're like 250 bucks or something. It'd be worth trying to see what happens. Pretty cheap relative, yeah. <laughs> Right. And uh, Bruce, on this turbo that you sent me with the bigger housing, I really, really like the bigger housing. You do? The exhaust housing. Is, it, yes, I'm, is this Brian? No, this is Austin. I hauled the livestock. Oh, in. Yeah, okay. Okay, Austin. Yeah, I remember. So you like the bigger housing versus the smaller one. I kind of thought you would because it lets the truck run more free. It, it does. It, it really explains the free. And I lost about... Oh, 150 to 200 degrees and gain, I don't know, about six pounds of boost. You gain boost, lost exhaust temperature, and the truck runs free. Right. Pretty amazing, about, isn't it? Doing about four pounds at 65 mile an hour on a level. That's uh, pretty awesome. At what speed? 65. 65, four pounds. Pulling a bull rack. Pulling a bull rack, yep. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. So, all righty. Well, that's a. So oh, think about you that. Guys... You were, you're pulling a bull rack at four pounds, and that guy I talked 
with on the opening of the shows at 35 pounds at 65. What gears did he have? <clears throat> well, the only gears, it's how bad the people screwed it up that did the delete right. on it. That was the problem. Uh, let me see if I can find his gears. You know, Bruce, while you're looking for that, we, we always talk about everything with fuel economy is physics. And what what that boost pressure is really telling us is that all of the physics are bad. Aerodynamics, the worse they are, the more boost we need to get the vehicle through the air. The drive line, if we're using right. heavier oils, the guy with the 50 weight oil earlier, all of those things, it, it restriction in the drive line, tires that have high rolling resistance, all of those things increase the need for more power to move the vehicle down the road, and that shows up in our boost. Yep. And what you guys were just talking about is physics again. The bigger housing allows the exhaust gases to flow easier through it, so the engine isn't working as hard just to push the exhaust gas out. So, Austin, at 65 mile an hour, your foot on the throttle, you're probably pushing that throttle a quarter inch or less? Yeah, that's about all you play with it. About all, I mean, you just sit there and play with it. Yeah. No, as far as doing 65 on a level, yeah, about a quarter inch is all you're pushing it. Yeah. Isn't that a wonderful feeling when it runs that free? And when you hit a hill... And it starts up the hill. You get that boost. It, it's a it's a good feeling. I know what you mean. Oh yeah, Kevin. You remember when you I talked about adrenaline and you said endomorphines and dopamine. Correct. And you said those three together are more powerful than cocaine. That's right. Well, that's what Austin feels now. And Austin there you feels go. That when he's going up the hill. Uh, Austin, I think he just called you a drug addict. <laughs> power addict, I guess. Yeah. Not a drug, not a drug, a power addict, uh, diesel fuel in the yeah. veins. Uh, it's just all kinds of things. Yeah, you know, we we That's could right. we could uh, say that that dopamine and norepinephrine and and those things are drugs. I have a a shirt that says "Get high on your own supply." That's all we're talking about. Uh, yeah, it's in the head. It is in the head. That's right. Anything that makes you happy, and horsepower makes us gearheads happy. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you, with a turbocharged snowmobile, and you're climbing a mountain, and the skis are three foot in the air, and you're using your body weight, I mean, it is a severe rush. And it's the same thing that you get with a diesel engine, whether it's a great running pickup truck diesel pulling a big trailer or a semi-truck. It is a rush. Or or a luxury coach with 700 horsepower. When you come by another coach and you're at half throttle and you see they're struggling and you're just cruising on by, isn't that wonderful? It is. It is. And, and talk about a quarter inch of throttle. That's about all I use on that thing anymore. Yeah, quarter inch. You know... Back when we'd build the 800 horsepower big cams and I was driving one across Ohio in the 359 Pete, we were on a drop deck with a another Pete that was a pulling truck on it. And 
the hardest part was holding the throttle back. We were on our way to Cummins Engineering in Columbus. And I said, you know, we almost need to put a taller sole on the right foot so you can drill an eighth-inch hole and put a tarp strap to hold your foot back because <laughs> your foot just wanting to rest on the throttle was more than that quarter inch. And, uh. and whenever they run that good, it's and as you're giving them power, it's almost like they're saying to you, give me more, give me more, and you just want to push more on it and feel it. There you go. There you go. All right. Let's grab another call. Let's go to Tennessee. Matt, welcome. Well, happy winter solstice to everybody. It's officially winter. <laughs> Is today the winter solstice? Uh, you're getting... Really? I no, believe sorry, that's either today sorry. or tomorrow. Hey, your day off. Okay. Day early. <laughs> I always try to be early. Well, there you go. Better than um, late. That's right. Uh, so the call earlier and the oil sample with the information, we all know those forms suck. Yes, they do. It's, it's way too small. You need a magnifying glass. Horizon Labs, you know, a lot of time we call it Polaris. I don't know why they technically have two names, but they do have an app under Horizon Labs. And then you could fill all that out on your phone and it's already in the system. You don't have to do the paper. Oh, that's a, that would be a big help because that form does suck. There's no doubt. I've asked them for years to change they that thing. Change it's so it. bad. They will not change it. I know. I, I've asked them just, just so can, can you just add the year for us so I don't have to ask everybody every time what year is your DD-15 because that engine's been around a while now. They're not all the same anymore. What what? It just what year, and we can't even get them to add that. Yeah, yeah. They say Horizon, at least on the Apple Store, that's under Horizon. I would assume the same. Got it. Android, but um, good tip. You know, and then you like, take a picture like, of the barcode, then it you know pulls it all up, and once you've set up the account, you know you have the drop-down menu for your truck number and all that. It's much easier on the app than on paper. I like that. Thank you. And instead of saying miles on unit, say miles on engine. Yes. That would make it so. Yeah. 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 They are they are confusing. And every time I fill one out, I have to stop and think and read it. And it takes time. It, it does. Well, and you got to look and at Pete, it. And Pete, I can tell you. You know, a lot of people don't have that time, and that's why a lot of those oil analysis come back with the missing information because it is confusing, and even to us, it looks at them every day, and it is time-consuming. It's just it's critical the, uh, to reading the report when that stuff's missing, though. That's all. Yeah. Uh, mile on unit makes much more sense for them because they test way more than engines. So if it's yeah, differential, you know, you don't want engines. So transmission, they should have a separate form for transmissions and differentials. Hey, that's another good point. Either that or yeah. Once, yeah. Once you select engine or differential or transmission, right. then yeah, they could have a different code. You know, you have it in order. You got to select that first. So, but, mm -hmm. um, so, 
this is for anybody who wants to take a stab at this, but in the winter time when it's snowing and there's slop on the roads and you're driving, you know, whatever, semi, a car, what happens to your fuel economy when it's cold and windy and you're driving through slop on the road? It, gets, it goes down. Goes down quite a bit. Goes down. Next question. So we <laughs> we lose range. Of course. Same as an electric vehicle loses range in the wintertime. Yeah. What What's the difference? You know, I'll t- you're right. You're absolutely right. Here's the difference. Um, take a truck today with uh, 150 gallon capacity, getting 10 miles to the gallon. And we've now got a 1,500-mile range. If we lose 500 of it, we still have a 1,000-mile range. But the, the problem with the battery electric today is we're starting with almost like the minimum range we need to get by on an ideal day. So anything that takes away from it causes a huge problem. With the, it, so I agree with you. It, it, this is all just physics. It, it's the same thing as somebody <laughs> stuck in, you know, traffic and they run out of fuel. Whether it was electric or diesel, you still ran out of fuel. The difference is we don't have that, you know, excess capacity with electric the way we can with with diesel or gas. That's really the only difference. Well, yeah, I, I, I realize it's not identical but and yes electric we're always starting with less but living in minnesota and even way outside of the metropolitan area i know somebody way up in middle of nowhere that has a tesla car they love it even last week i was home uh thursday we got a pretty big snowstorm there's teslas out on the interstate driving through it just the same as as anything else they well you know they drive down the road just like any other vehicle. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, here here's the difference. I, I think as far as electric cars go, we're the only problem we have with electric cars, in my opinion, is the grid itself. If we get too many electric cars too fast, it's going to cause problems. We're just not going to have enough power for them. That's the only real issue I see with electric cars. When you look at the range they have today and the range we need for most people, range isn't an issue. I mean, most people could commute all the way to work, all the way home, only plug their car in at home and never have to go to a gas station or a charger. I mean, that that's reasonable for a lot of people. I could have an electric vehicle and if I had a charger at home, I would probably go all year and never need to charge anywhere except at home. So as far as that goes, I, I think we're ready for electric cars. They're ready for the road. That's why we're seeing so many of them. Everybody's bringing one out. Trucks, is the, the issue there is we need a lot more range on a truck to make it practical. Okay, so let's put this question out, Kevin. The last power plant we built near western Pennsylvania was down in the Ohio River on the Ohio PA line. And that was about 1972. I was with Bankcart Heavy Haul Trucking, and we hauled a lot of material into there. Can anybody that's listening tell us 
when was the last time they saw a power plant being built in this country? It's almost impossible. The regulations are insane. The cost is insane. The paperwork, the the red tape, it, it's... And that's that's what's not making sense is it's our government pushing us to electric and our government stops us from building power plants. How does any of that make sense? And let's go back years, years ago, whenever you were driving, like in the when I left Pittsburgh and went to Cobo Hall in Detroit to judge the ride and custom car show, we ran along in a 69 Corvette the whole way at 105, 110. 283 miles in three hours and five minutes. However, there was hardly any traffic, and that was a Friday night. Look now at the traffic we have. There's at least three to four times more cars than in the late 60s, early 70s on the highway. And we keep letting people in and people in, and we're not building infrastructure in this country. No. Yeah, we, I completely we have agree a problem. That we're at max. Yep. And they don't like, and I love hydroelectric dams. My God, it makes, it makes a water community. Uh, people spend a lot of money to build big homes on waterfront. They pay a lot of taxes. Uh, people are out there boating, skiing, fishing, paddle boarding, uh, flying that thing that you fly, Kevin, and different things. And it's hydroelectric. It doesn't cost anything. The water turns the turbine, and yet the environmentalists are against it. They want to tear dams down. I, I'm sure they're I mean, going to tell crazy. us it, it, it kills some kind of rare toad that nobody's ever heard of. What's it kill? I said uh, I'm sure they would just claim that those dams are going to kill some kind of rare toad that's nobody nobody's ever heard of. Oh. So... I'll say this, that lucid car got four houses down for me and Maryland has one. It is stunning. 500 mile radius. And, um, I could see one of those in my future. Not right now. I, but you know, I, you when, got, when we bought the, our, our last vehicle, our last new vehicle, I was almost tempted to do it then. And I said, no, you know, one more car. And I, I keep cars a long time. So I don't know when I'm going to be looking for another car, but there's a good chance my next vehicle might be electric. So, but any, everyone that calls in, just mention you saw a power plant being built in what year? Let's see this one, the last one was built in this country. Hey, hey, Bruce. I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm surprised we were just talking about electric cars. You didn't mention the Audi. That thing is stunning. The electric Audi? Yeah. The e-tron, I think. Isn't that what they call that one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is a I don't know stunning what the vehicle. I only have 8,000 miles on my new car, so it'll be a long time. Yeah, that's the same. Matt, Matt same in your mine. travels, when was the last... Yeah. Matt, when was the last time you saw a new power plant being built? I don't know of any that have been built from scratch almost in my lifetime. Um, I worked in, uh, how old, how old are you? Several of them around Minneapolis. Uh, 46 last week. 46. All right. So in 1972, you weren't here, were you? No, I was not. Yeah. That's, that was the last one I remember. 
So yeah, everything I've seen is they've rebuilt or added on. For the most part, they've been rebuilding or reconstructing older coal plants and converting them to natural gas. But you, right. might, hey, you know, here's a here's an, in, I'm sorry, Matt. Go ahead. Yeah, for power generation, and it's a political. I don't know, political, environmental is nuclear, and it's because people are ignorant about it. They're scared of it. They don't understand it. In our last power, our nuclear plant we built was in the 70s. And if we built one today, it would have half the waste of what they used to. And even way back then, it was our cleanest type of energy, least amount of smallest carbon footprint, all that. So here's an well, look at look at all issue so small. Look at our submarines and our aircraft carriers. They're all nuclear. There's no problems. They're not exploding. Those people that are on them aren't dying. So here's an interesting oh, statistic yeah. about aircraft carriers. It's a city. About nuclear, I would have never guessed. Do you know how many nuclear reactors we have in the United States operating? I've heard the number, but I can't remember. I, I would have guessed a handful. We have 99 reactors working in the United States, and the average age of those reactors is 37 years, and we have no real issues with them at all. Are they making regular electricity in all 99? Yeah. Almost two per state? Yeah. I, I would have so never guessed it was that high. Yeah. 34% of energy is coming from nuclear power plants in PA. That's a lot. Just looked it up. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought that much. It's 20% national. And yeah, I checked two in Minnesota that I know of. Several years ago, I was talking to a nuclear engineer, and I tried to get him to build me a small reactor to power a semi-truck. And he said, do you realize what kind of trouble we'd get into? I said, look, if I put 12 of them or 20 of them in owner-operator's trucks and they never had to buy fuel, I said, and I told them to keep it quiet, they'd keep it quiet. <laughs> How are we going to get caught unless the truck's in an accident? Right? <laughs> uh... But I thought this was about 15 years ago I talked to this fellow, maybe a little bit longer. Just give me a small reactor and let's put it under the hood. No. Yeah, you you and every uh, government in the other. world wants a small reactor. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, yeah, because, like, trucks, obviously, we start getting a smaller vehicle. But I'm sure there's technology that would make it work. But there's no reasons our trains and definitely, like, all the ocean-going ships. Right. And even the barges running up and down the rivers. Yeah. I mean, most things are not fuel efficient, but they probably would work really good with nuclear. Yeah. Yep. And they're still running. Well, they were running um, heavy crude, and they were having to get rid of that and go to diesel fuel. Um, and I was on a cruise two years ago, and we were sitting in, I think it was Puerto Rico. You could look at the cruise ships that were still running the heavy oil 
because they're sitting there idling and smoking, and the ones running diesel were nice and clean. Yep. That's where I'm trying to get our catalyst into the, the uh, cruise ships, even make them more cleaner and more efficient. There you go. All right, Matt, good stuff. We're going to grab another call. We're going to head off to Pennsylvania. Bill, hey, welcome Kevin. to the program. Hey, how you doing? What can we help you with you there? Hey, I was just calling about the electric vehicles. One of the problems my son has one is like in the wintertime, all your heat and everything is being drawn off the batteries too. And it takes the battery life down fast. I mean, you know, it's good technology, but it still needs quite a bit of work. Yeah, there's no doubt that, um, you know, the, the ranges we hear are, you know, best case scenario most of the time. And everything's going to have an impact on that. And, and temperature is a big one when oh. it comes to batteries. And you're right. We, we have to think about things like we get our heat from vehicles now off the waste heat from the engine. And there's plenty of it, you know. Exactly. But batteries, yeah, they get hot. They're not going to get as hot as an internal combustion engine. So um, we do have to figure out where where we get heat from in these things. (laughs) Yeah, because our son's got one. He said, when you use the heat, man, he said, it just drains that battery quick. What what car does your son have? He's got a, a Ford Lightning. Or lightning? Yeah, I mean, I drove it. It's nice. It's fast and all that stuff. <laughs> it's a hell to drive, but just like I said, he's got some issues to work out still on some of this stuff. I'm sure they, uh, the air conditioning probably draws just as much, if not more. Yeah, you know, heat heat is really difficult to generate from electricity. Electric heat is right. really, really inefficient. Uh-huh. But, uh, I mean, it's a good idea. I, I think eventually it'll get there and everything will be smart. You know, like I said, with, with cars, it's going to happen fairly quickly um, because it just fits that mold better already. We have vehicles that have plenty of range as far as cars go. If you know, some people will buy an electric vehicle just as their commuter car and then have another internal combustion engine for longer trips. That'll be pretty common. Um, all the real challenges are going to come with commercial vehicles and trucks. That, that's a much, much bigger challenge than somebody's personal car. Um, it looks like uh, we're out of calls today. Um Kind of expecting this week will be a little quiet with the holidays. So anything anybody wants to wrap up with? Well, I just want to, I just want to say uh, Matt's 46 years old, and when he was just being born is when I started building diesel engines. There you go. It's making me feel old. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce just experienced. Well, you're, you're well-seasoned and experienced. Think December first was the start of the forty-sixth year. Wow! Wow! A great career. Well, you can tell you like what you're doing. You know, if you don't like what you're doing, you'd never be doing it this long. And, and I and I gotta say, I'll say it again. It's uh, 
I had the pleasure of talking to a lot of great owner operators during the day, and I really enjoyed the conversations. There you go. Good stuff. All right, we're going to wrap this up. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health. I don't think we have anything going on tomorrow. Lauren and I might uh, talk about some digestion issues. I don't think we have any guests. So tomorrow will be a free-for-all. If you have any questions, you're going to want to jump in. We'll see you then. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. (laughs) 